You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We're back, and we have a great show ahead of you. We are back, and we are looking at science. Science! That's right, folks. We are looking at all the cool stuff that's been happening, and science has been really in the headlines. Science! Are you going to say that every time I do that? This is awesome. I like it. I love having an echo like that. That's, that's one of my dreams, is to have somebody walking behind me and go, every time I say science... Science. It, it, it'd just be great. This is this is the way my life is going to be for the rest of the, you know, at least the night. This will be great. So we're going to be joined by some really smarter people than us talking all about science. Science. And the man you're hearing as my echo, Mr. Mike Gordon, is here. Howdy, sir. Howdy. Are you doing okay? I am doing fine. I am looking forward to talking all about science. Yes, yes, yes. It's going to be a big one. And oh, should I have yelled science behind you? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Just wanted it's to make sure. Okay. Uh, I guess I could double up. Uh, but um, uh, then you have to pay me more. Um, okay. But, I'll you know, double your salary for it this week. Yeah, we've we've got a little bit of uh, scientific achievements that have been made recently that uh, I think will keep the conversation uh spark off the conversation pretty well oh yeah and it's gonna be there's a lot to talk about so this is gonna be a fun one to do and of course we want to hear from you guys at home please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com let us know how your day is going how's everything up did you guys like us talking to isaac from the love boat last week we got a couple people who were really surprised by that and they got a kick out of it and we're gonna have a lot of good interviews coming up folks we have tons of good stuff coming your way you never know it should be a blast to talk all about. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Also, if you want to, please tell your friends and neighbors. Please subscribe to the Earth Station One podcast. All you have to do is go to any podcast player. Wherever you find great podcasts, Earth Station One is there. And, you know, you could even tell Alexa to listen to Earth Station One. No, I'm not going to tell Alexa, hey, Alexa, listen to the Earth Station One podcast. I would never do that to you guys. Not 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 intentionally, at least. But you know, definitely would love to. You know, you know, definitely have more listeners and have more people. We're not beyond begging on the show. You know that. You guys have been listening long enough. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys and you know get more and more people learning about it. And you know, we've got a lot of great things happening. We got a lot of great shows coming up, including this one. So please listen in. It should be a lot of fun. A big shout out to our friends over at Tofosi Optics. That's right. Tofosi Optics. We have spring in the air here in the Atlanta area. It, is, it was almost 80 degrees yesterday here. And I was like looking, where are my Tofosi sunglasses? Oh, that's right. They're in my glove compartment. Because when I go driving, I want to look really cool in my Tofosi sunglasses. I was able to pick red, red frames with purple lenses. It's pretty kind of cool. And you could choose any kind of colors you actually even want for it. So 
definitely would love, you know, you guys to take advantage of Tifosi. All you have to do is go to TifosiOptics.com, and if you put Earth Station 1 into the coupon code, you get 10% off. You can make the sunglasses of your dreams at Tifosi. Check it out, Tifosi Optics. And now we're here to talk to our new friend of the station, Mr. Scott Valentine. Welcome, sir. Mr. Gordon, Mr. Faber, 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 Mr. Faber. Good evening, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good evening to you. Welcome to the station. Um, mm-hmm. I, we're excited to have you here. Um, I know that you know, most of our listeners probably recognize you, your name from Family Ties, of course, right? You guys recently did a um, uh, uh, one of those cast reunion Zoom things, right? Um, and yeah. like recently, about what four months ago, three months ago. How was how was that? Getting back together with everybody. It was. It, can we use expletives on this? I, I, I'll bleep or, you. Let's go for it. Okay. Sure. It, it it was friggin' great, lad. It was great, lad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was really, actually, it was really, 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 really great. It was the first time that all of us, with the exclusion of of Justine, unfortunately, and um, and Courtney, uh, would have been great to have had Courtney there. Courtney Cox. Yeah, of course. Or, um, it was the first time that uh, Mark Price and I have been with Meredith, Michael, and Michael and uh, Tina in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it it almost made me cry, tears of joy. It was very, very sweet, very, very loving, very kind, very wonderful. You know, very wonderful. You know, when you haven't seen, I haven't seen some of those folks in thirty years, so it was just great. Now, um, working on a, a show like that, like a family show like that, that's such a staple, um, did it feel like behind the scenes like a family as well? Because you guys were doing that for what? ten? No, it wasn't 10 years. Was it 10 years? Well, the show was on seven. I was on at the last four. Okay. That's a long time, though. And, you know, I used to jokingly poke Gary Goldberg, the guy who created it, and it was his brain. You know, he was the brain his brainchild, um, it really spoiled me for the rest of Hollywood. Mm. It really, really did. Um, as much as times we had little spats or there was little, you know, sibling, he got more ice cream than me, that kind of um, It was truly a, a wonderful, embracing, supportive environment. And um, even better than family in some ways, depending upon how dysfunctional your family is. <laughs> Excuse me, but it was to walk into something like that, Mr. Gordon, and uh, to already have a cast, you know, to come in the fourth year and have them doing, be in their groove already and playing a character that was by, by the way it was written to not be liked by the other folks, except for one of them Mm -hmm. uh, and to be the blunt end of jokes um, and have Michael Fox Michael Gross, Meredith, reach out in a very loving, supportive, nurturing way uh, was truly exceptional and, and, and very wonderful. I, that was the first show I ever did in Hollywood. Um, I, I had been in New York. Amazing thing, getting that like as your first show. I mean, that was that was it was it was already the, one of the kings of comedy right there. Do and I was Mr. New York. You know, I'm 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 a thespian. I'm a tragedian. I'm not an actor. We don't do sitcoms. Excuse me. We do Congreve and Wickley, all right? Um, 
and I, I had that snooty stick up my uh, keister going, I don't want to do this much. And my agent's like, you need a job. I see. I, I don't know if you guys know or not. I was run over by a truck. Hit run over and dragged by a truck in New York City in 81. And I was on my way to uh, discuss with my agent to whether to take a soap opera or the movie Lords of Discipline for Paramount that Frank Rodham was directing. And Frank Rodham had directed Quadrophenia, who was his film prior to that. <clears throat> and I really, I was uh, working on becoming a member of the actor's studio, you know, Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Marlon Brando, Elia Kazan, uh, greats like that. And I just wanted to do theater. I mean, for me still, the big orgasm is live theater to be here. You are, there's the audience. What you do is what the audience gets. There's no net. There's nothing to save you. There's no editing. There's no special effects. How you interpret the writer's words and how you deliver that message to the audience is how you're received, how you live or die. Um, so that's what I wanted to do. And, and while going to make this decision with my agent, which I wanted to do the movie, and my dream was to do one movie a year so I could live in Manhattan and the rest of the time do theater. Um, I was hit, run over and dragged by a truck. I died. I was paralyzed from the waist down. I rehabilitated for two and a half years. Couldn't get arrested in New York again. Went out to LA and auditioned like a dog for 10 months before getting family ties. Mm. Some weeks I would have literally 20 auditions. By the time this rolled around, I, I, I'm not sure if I, if I knew of family ties, if I was, you know, I was one of those snobs that like, I, I don't watch television. I'm sorry. That's for the pagans and the peons. <laughs> you don't watch TV. And here's a show that's the number two show on TV. You got a guy, by the time I walked through the door, had the number one and number two movie in, in the nation, uh, Back to the Future and, and Teen Wolf, and was very intelligent. Michael Fox is an extremely intelligent person. Uh, just spot on, laser sharp. Uh, comedic timing. Meredith Baxter, who was just a trained pro. Um, Michael Gross, who was a, a trained theater actor. Tina Yothers, who's a sweetheart of a, of a gal. And it was in, in all these great writers. If you look at the writers that were on that show at the time I got on and where they went from there, they all had very successful careers. So I was one lucky mother forker. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, there was even it's not it, it's hard to believe now because I don't think it, it might be the reverse now. But back then, I do remember there was a, a line between even film and TV people. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Like Michael J. Fox had to work hard to break that barrier himself. Oh, yeah. He was one of the and exceptions. The film people, they don't do TV. We have TV. <laughs> you know, and, and there was still. Look, still to this day, I mean, look, TV, what is TV now? Is, does TV, it doesn't exist as you and I knew it growing up. No, or as, no it doesn't. Or as, as Mr. Farber knew it growing up. Um, there were four networks at the time. And there were movie stars that had their career somewhat floundering in the movies and tried to make it as a TV star and, and you know, crashed and burned and, and, and hit the ground just nose first. <clears throat> so Michael Fox did break. I, I'm not going to say he broke a mold, right? but he right. certainly broke a lot of norms and a lot of perceptions. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was very exceptional. 
I want to, I, 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 I want to talk about uh, certainly all the stuff that you're doing now. Um, but before that, I have to mention, because it's a guilty pleasure of mine, I have to mention your time on Black Scorpion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I imagine that was a slightly different environment than Family Ties. <clears throat> no, again, once really? again, you know, Family Ties ended in 1990, May of 1990. Black Scorpion, I think, started maybe, say, June, July of 98. Mm-hmm. It was one of the funnest shows I ever worked on. Because you were there because there wasn't a lot of money. You know, Roger's cheap. That's why mm-hmm. he got to be the king of B films. And as I said, you knew you were going to get paid two bucks and two bucks came in your envelope every, you know, every week. But <clears throat> everybody that was there was there because, yes, they needed the money, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, look, we had um, Soupy Sales. Uh, Adam West, uh, you had all these, which was somewhat surreal and kind of an acid trip in its way where, um, the guy, Craig Nevius, the creator of the show had all these, uh, playboy and penthouse, uh, models, uh, doing little tiny guest roles here and there just cause he liked to see TNA. Um, and it was just, it was very surreal and I was, and then the gal, Michelle Lintel, that, that played the Black Scorpion, who's mm-hmm. a very sweet gal, but her head was kind of on a, on a, on a, on a, what, a lazy Susan spinning around with all, all the males that were hitting on her and, and, and courting <laughs> her. So it was just, in, in a way, fun to watch. And at the same time, I was trying to get Deuces Wild done, which eventually we did get it done with the uh, MGM. But that was a whole, a whole lesson in, in Hollywood theology. Uh, and uh, what, more so what not to do as opposed to what to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds great. I'm glad that experience <clears throat> was good for you too. Cause I, yeah, I could see where it could go either way, you know, on, on, on sets like that. So um, I loved it. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. There was only one real cantankerous element, you know, somebody who was less than desirable. Um, won't say who that person was, was not a cast member was somebody behind the scenes and it was, mm. Um, I, I carried enough weight with Roger that when this person was a, a, a displeasurable individual, I could say, hey, keep it up. I'm going to go talk to Roger and have your ass fired. So, you know, yeah. Very, so, this, go ahead. Um, sorry. No, absolutely. So uh, speaking of, you know, producing Deuces Wild, when did you start becoming like interested in more the other side of the camera and sort of how does that lead up to what you guys, what you do, what you're doing now? I told you about the business manager that stole close to a million dollars from me. Mm. And I went from auditions going in and being interested in the project and the material to being desirous to feed my children and pay my mortgage or rent, whatever, whatever year we're talking about. And some of the best acting was going in and, and for, for material that I thought was just dreck, just pure fecal matter. And I said, I've got to do something else because I'm going into these auditions desperate and nobody wants to hire a desperate person. I have to do something where I have more control. And I was delusional in thinking that a producer had more control over the the fate and destiny of their product, but started uh, working for Odyssey Picture Corp. And then we had a guy come in that pitched us a two-page treatment 
that was eventually would become the film Juices Wild. That we we paid for the treatment, we paid for the writer, uh, we got the cast, we got the money, we got the distribution, um, and there was a lot of lessons learned along the way. The fellow who brought us in the treatment is now dead, and when I find his grave, I'd be more than happy to void my bladder on his grave. <laughs> Because he and uh, the gentleman who was the, the the company that brought in the foreign money, who I thought was a good guy, turned out to be another coke-snorting pig and uh, isolating me because I too much I was raising my hand going, no, we can't do that. That's not the right thing. Uh, and me being, you know, Manny Moral, uh, people don't like it when you stand up and say the unpopular thing, but the thing that's the right thing that I feel that is the moral thing. Um, so that fella who eventually got arrested for stealing money out of the fund that he would use to fund movies with uh, the money from Germany, <laughs> Interpol came and visited him and said, so tell us, Mr. <laughs> How did you get these two townhouses in the middle of London? You know, it'd be like me having a 10 or $15 million condo in the middle of Manhattan. Like Scotty, where'd you get that money? Where'd that come from? Um, so that, got arrested and went to jail. The other died from doing too much cocaine. And the other piece, I don't know where he is. Boy, Faber, you're going to have fun editing that out. <laughs> you're just making my life so much easier, Scott. <laughs> you're my best friend. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> from that, I went on and produced other things. Eventually had a deal at Madonna's company. Had a deal with ABC for a period of time. And around 03, 04, just got sick of the business. I got sick of the lies, got sick of the baloney. Um, the company that I had had before with my other business partner, and we fell out of love with each other, partly because of Deuce is Wild and the, the screwing that we got on that. Um, and I went and got a deal at Madonna's company. And I walked in there with, with two films, one with Tim Allen and Hilary Duff attached, who back in 03 were pretty hotty patatties, film-wise. And the other with Daryl Hannah and Damon Wayans, who back 02, 03 meant something theatrically. And the guy who was the head dude at, at Madonna's company, after walking into his office a few times and catching him doing blow and having sex with hookers, um, I realized was not the place for me to be doing business at. And uh, decided, I got to get out of here. And I was working with a fella who the company he had worked for had just funded the first turkey manure to power plant up in Minnesota called Firefly. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a way of, of, of gasifying the turkey manure to create a gas that then you combust and spin turbines. Um, and then the woman who is my business partner now, she and I had been trying to get deals done together on opposite sides of the table. And, and it was that, that day in Mavericks, uh, the film and television division, that office, I had one of those offices that had a glass wall looking out to the center where all the, the assistants and the other, the, the lower folks were. And I saw the, the brain trust of Maverick come back, all these executives from lunch, knowing that they had gone and just, gotten drunk, got high. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing here? How am I going to feed my kids working with these losers who are going out and getting blasted in the middle of the afternoon? And it was that day that I handed him my see you later letter. Um, 
and started working as an investment banker and worked for years in structuring financing for a lot of renewable energy facilities, uh, ethanol plants, uh, biodiesel plants, anaerobic digestion plants, <clears throat> and then getting into funding of other different, you know, attempting to get new technologies financed, attempting to get pharmaceuticals financed, attempting to get uh, real estate projects financed. Um, and it was quite a lesson for me. And, and a lot of people that would meet me in that sector would say, wait a second, what Aren't you that guy that played the idiot on the sitcom? You played the dumb guy, didn't you? <laughs> uh, you don't talk like this. You, you're supposed to talk like that guy on the show. What is, you know, had thrived in that sector from about 05 to 2015, um, enjoying quite an education again. And a lot of people would say, well, how do you know that? How do you, why do you think you know how to do this? And the financing of any business endeavor is just like financing an independent film. There, there are multiple deliverables, multiple requirements that must be met in order for you. You, you, you sort of got to flick all the switches for the money to come out of the hole. Um, and you got to make sure you, it's funny, the guy I told you about the fiber watt plant, the, the, the French Canadian mm-hmm. guy, um, we, he was a finance guy and he liked me and he had explained it to me one time. He said, if you're going to finance a project, it's like you're standing in the middle of a circular room and the room is not a wall, but it's a succession of doors and you've got to make sure to close every door. So it was a tremendous lesson for me. And there was once again, a lot of idiots, a lot of liars, a lot of charlatans in that world. Um, a lot of going to court with assholes that stole not not thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands, but millions of dollars out of deals where we were never indicted, but guys that were part of the deal getting indicted and getting deposed and also going through a very acrimonious divorce with my ex. It just, it was not, not a pleasant time business-wise, but it was a real growth time for me. And it's a real, you know, I am, I'm very proud of myself now where people say um, what the the metal of the man is made up not so much by his successes, but how he comes back from his failures. Sure. Kind of like how Einstein people said, Oh, you failed 487 times. I didn't fail 487 times. I found 487 ways not to do what I need to do. Get it out 488th time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, in a way, going back to college and learning business, you know, 101, learning how to finance projects. At that time, around 2015, I met a gentleman named Larry Meistrich. Larry started a company in New York in the 90s called Shooting Gallery. Their first big breakout film was Sling Blade, mm-hmm. which Larry produced. Literally the the old story of credit card to credit card to credit card that he made, I think, for about eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, that he sold to Miramax, Harvey Weinstein's company, for ten million. Um, him and Weinstein got into a fight when he sold it because Billy Bob had the final cut on it. And Larry said, admittedly, it needed to be cut. It was four hours long. I don't know when's the last time you watched Sling Blade. It's two and a half hours long, and even two and a half hours, it's a little bit. And obviously, all of us will admit Billy Bob just did a a, a phenomenal job writing and acting. 
But when they sold it to Miramax, Billy Bob had final cut. Very rarely does a director get final cut. And Weinstein, being the arrogant prick that he is, was like, ah, I'm going to get a cut line. And, and admittedly, it, it, Weinstein hired somebody, some editor that had won four or five Academy Awards and did a phenomenal job of cutting it together, but they didn't tell Billy Bob. Wow. When they went to talk about it, Weinstein, great story. Larry said he made us fly out to L.A. from New York. We fly to L.A., we go to meet him. I think he said it was at the Beverly Hills Hilton. They go to the room. It's a suite. They walk in. There's two chairs. There's two chairs in the over there is the bedroom. Over there is the other bedroom. There's there's a table with some you know some hors d'oeuvres and drinks on it. There's like the agent and the lawyer and managers and minions. And Harvey, of course, comes out 45 minutes late. Comes out of the bedroom. What is he wearing? A robe, but nothing else on. He sits down. Hanging out. Billy Bob sits in the other chair. They start chalk, talking. It descends from talking to insulting each other's lineage, using, you know, racial slurs against each other. They stood up and went from talking to hollering. And they started sort of like slapping each other and kind of pushing each other. And Larry thought, well, I got to protect my director. Now, Larry grew up only a mom. In the Bronx, played football and bass and baseball at Johns mm. Hopkins. Played pro baseball for a year. I don't know how many Jewish guys you know that are five foot eight, five foot nine that actually play pro ball. You know, he's a he's a baller. He's he's, he's a tough son of a bitch. So when Weinstein started yeah. hitting Billy Bob, Larry went over and punched him right in the carotid artery, knocked him oh, out. Wow. <laughs> he got arrested. <laughs> there were never charges, but Weinstein did everything he could do to be a dick and, and sort of cockplot the rest of Larry's career. But it's just thrilling hearing all the other stories of people that I know lovingly and firsthand, like Larry, of, of just dickwad stories with Weinstein. So I'm so happy that, that people are in jail. Um, and knowing knowing a couple of the women yeah, that he yeah. was a sexual predator towards, upon. You know, where there's this... Well, why'd you go back to the hotel room saying to women? We can sit here and investigate that for days, for months, but the guy never should have done what he did. Whether it was his hotel room, her hotel exactly. room. It doesn't excuse anything. A coffee shop, the back of a cab, whatever. You should never do what you did. That's wrong. It's improper. So anyway, Larry and I met about four or five years ago. And for about two years, we sniffed each other like a couple of dogs in the yard. Because Larry's been enough, and I've been. And we're rather trepidatious with regard to who we're going to get in business with. And then a couple of years ago, we decided, let's make a partnership. Let's let's see if we can make this work. Now, it's been a very interesting time um, because of before COVID, because of streaming, you know, Netflix, uh, Amazon. Apple, all these other services, uh, the means of which we're communicating here right now, essentially for free, um, has taken over the delivery of content. Um, you add that with, you know, mm -hmm. folks have got 70, 80 inch flat screens in their living room and they're not that expensive to get anymore. Nope. I'm not saying nope. everybody can have one, but somebody with a regular job and sort of a regular 
means of living. I don't want to be disrespectful and act like, oh yeah, sure, everybody can go get one, but it's not that hard to obtain. Um, so the fact that I can stream and go to my flat screen and have virtually 4,000, 10,000 movies at my fingertips um, and a vast majority of those for free or only paying four or five bucks to watch some premier stuff. Why am I going to want to go to a movie theater and, you know, sit in a sticky chair with weird, funky organisms? <laughs> you know, that was all pre-COVID. Then you add COVID into it, then nobody can go to the theater. It's it's made it a very interesting time in the movie production and distribution of content world. Um, and you've got these behemoth companies that think they can just throw money at it and that they're going to win the studios try to just throw money at it and they don't always win. I'm sort of gleeful when I see that they've spent a hundred million, $150 million on something and it fails because people still want a story. People still need a human element. People still need an emotional connection to the story. Um, you know, HBO people bitched about Chris Albrecht when he grew HBO, but just about every show that Chris was responsible for at HBO was a great show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his office. Yeah. Yeah. But, and and, and he, had a, of, he had a lot of debauchery things. behavior as well. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but there was somebody in control making sure there was quality entertainment. Now, admit, Netflix has got a few good shows, but they got a lot of bad shows. They got a lot of bad movies. And they've got a lot of movies and shows that they've thrown a lot of money at and gotten big stars. And, and I don't want to say who those stars are because I may be courting them at some point to work with. But you look at it and go, well, at least the check clear. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. At least you got $40 million and I look like I'm watching community theater and my Uncle Bob's playing the lead and chewing up scenery and acting all over the place. So with that, when I met Larry... His company is in partnership with AMC Theaters. There's a lot of people say, oh, anybody can get a movie in a theater. Yeah, maybe. But he's got a contract. He's got a piece of paper that says, if I make this and I tell you I want these dates and this many screens and these many markets, they got to give it to him. Yes, there's a monetary exchange, but he's got that. In addition to that, he had a funding vehicle. In addition to that, he's got a resume where he has produced and or distributed 144 films plus and returned all the money on 140 of them. That's a better track record than Roger Corman. Hmm. Now, Larry's got a reputation in the business of being a prick, being a hard ass. Maybe he's associated with mob. You know, he's just, he's not. He just, he knows, he knows what he knows and he's very quick to admit what he doesn't know. He's very honest. He's very fair. He's a great parent to his children. So I'm, I'm extremely honored to, to have a partnership with him now and that we're launching Red Coral Universe. We'll have our own Red Coral OTT. Uh, we'll have Red Coral Production Services. We'll have Red Coral Casting Services. These are all seeds that we have planted and that we're now growing the company. Um, and he's, he's a very shrewd, intelligent business person. Um, and we want to see ourselves as 
a home for independent content makers. Whether it's an independent three-minute film or an independent three-hour film, we don't feel there's a real home for independence now. Uh, there's a lot of independent producers when Netflix came on the scene, and, and yes, mm. they were able to go, I sold my movie and I, I made some money. What, what was your movie? Blah, 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 blah. I never heard of it, but it's on Netflix or it's on Amazon mm. or it's on Apple. You know, I got all those. I never heard of it. Right. And I don't know if you know this or not, the, 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 the computer algorithm for those services is as such, just like you doing a search on Google or on Bing and you, you go look for new hiking shoes. In the next few days, you're hit with nothing but ads about hiking shoes. Uh, you go look for pink fuzzy slippers with the, the bunny suit and you get hit with, you know, and I love pink fuzzy slippers. I, do, I love them. But it's, it's kind of creepy that they're tracking you that way. <laughs> So as with Netflix, I think Netflix controls about twenty five thousand titles. And do you have a do you have a Netflix account, oh, yeah, Mike? We both do. Yeah. So when you go, what they're showing you on your portal is maybe five hundred titles. The other twenty four thousand five hundred are in their database somewhere. And the way I see it is a place that an independent filmmaker worked their ass off. You know, they're going to promote their film. I can't say. <laughs> There's a couple of films that came out in the past year with really big stars. And I watched the film and I'm like, what was that? What, what, what just happened? Whereas there, some of the, the scripts that we have are just, are scripts of the human element. Are scripts of, you know, you look at actors and what roles they pick. Philip Seymour Hoffman, before he died, was great at picking what material. You know, you look at um, Francis McDormand, mm -hmm. right? God, I miss that guy. I want to see whatever she's in because she's just a phenomenal talent and she's very good at picking the material she's associated with. Um, the actor, what's his name? The guy who kills himself in Full Metal Jacket in the bathroom. Oh, Vincent, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Such a oh, phenomenal Vincent. talent uh, that if yeah. his name is yeah. on it, I I want to see it because he he's not chasing after a paycheck. He's not looking to get a gazillion dollars to be dressed up in some spandex suit to fly across the universe. There, there's stories of human element. So... That's what Larry and I hope to be a home for filmmakers, for content makers of. Um, and it's called, called Red Coral. Red, Red Coral, Coral. We, we expect to launch uh, end of Q2, beginning of Q3 this year. We've had a little bit mm -hmm. of challenges with the coders. You know how them coders are. They can be rather mercurial. Guys and gals, they're very smart. Day, we know. You know, they, they know a lot more than this old gray-haired guy, but... Um, or write the check. It's <laughs> awesome. I would imagine, yes. I mean, in the one hand, in today's entertainment, there's it's easier in a lot of ways than it's ever been to get content out there, right? But the the, the flip side of that is that there's more competition for content than ever. Well, there's before, more. Remember, right? remember when when uh, when we went from four channels? You guys are old enough. You get enough gray. Yep. Remember when oh, we went yeah. from four channels to cable? Oh my god. We have 30 channels. <laughs> 25. 
and, and all these idiots in Hollywood that obviously couldn't do the math were like, oh, my God, we're going to make 30 times as much money. No, it's still the same audience. Whether your audience is New York and, 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 and Connecticut or the United States or the world, it's still the same populace. And that pie is just getting cut into more and tinier and tinier pieces. So it's pretty cool that Larry's son, Jamin, very talented filmmaker, extremely talented. He's the kind of kid that grew up having his idiosyncratic disposition applauded and championed to not like, oh, you're weird, to, oh, okay, sure, uh, try it. And he's a filmmaker, and he's making some stuff with his with his iPhone, editing it on his you know on his little computer here, and putting it out through this portal, the Oracle that we call the Internet. And it's very cost effective. I, I tell you, we're making content that we're not spending a lot of money on it, but you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Look, I've made movies using digital cameras for a quarter million dollars. If you've got the right DP and you've got the right script and you got the right actors, it's pretty good. Uh-huh. Really good. Yeah. And I'm I'm very I know I've done a lot. We could go down my resume and go, "Why why did you do Ride of Chucky 2 or you know, why did you do well, I had to feed my kids. I mean, it always comes back to I had to feed my kids. Somebody stole my nest egg and I had to feed my kids. Um, and it is embarrassing at times. But those films, as, as schlocky as they were, as low budget as they were, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, the three of us could go out right now. We could, I've got great scripts. We could go shoot um, and we can make it for a hundred grand. And And I think it would be, audience worthy and the nice thing is because you can make it for that amount of money and because you can reach an audience to recoup that in a very meaningful manner you know you don't you don't have to spend a lot to make a lot to get a lot back to you know and also there's not a lot of stops have you ever looked at a just you guys i think we discussed this look at a distribute typical distribution yeah. agreement with, with a studio or an independent oh, yeah. distributor there's a lot of bus stops before that, right. that bus stops to the, 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 the stop known as the filmmaker and the star and the actors and the writer. Um, and it's, it's, there's a lot of legitimate cost in there, but there's a lot of legitimate expenses that are uh, multiplied in a manner that makes it unfair to the folks who actually made the product. Totally you know? makes sense. Truthfully. You know, and there are still, look, there's still folks in Hollywood that we deal with that think that they should be getting paid like when there was seven studios. There were seven studios and there are four networks mm. and I should be making, you know, six figures a week. That's not the world we live in anymore. No. It's not. It, we're know? finding that out a lot, even with just podcasting and trying to, you know, succeed that way. It's a, it's a lot of the same stuff, you know, mm-hmm. getting your name out there, getting through all the different algorithms to get, you know, so we can get up on higher up on Apple or Spotify or wherever. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. So you, we're seeing the same things that you're seeing with your company. And look at, look at one of the most popular shows on television, the walking dead that my dear sweet fiance just turned me on to in its 10th season. 
And, uh, and Norman Reedus was in Deuces Wild. One of the funniest stories was walking up on the set and him coming and begging me to do the scene naked and the director wouldn't allow him to do it naked. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but um, that is a very successful show by all rights and considerations. And their per episode budgets have dropped every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the typical Hollywood formula. Where Remember, remember Sopranos? First year it started, I think their budget per episode was like $3 million. $3 million for a TV. Wow. And by the end, they were up to like $20, 25000000 million an episode. An episode. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's a new Mother Nature, guys. Absolutely. Strap in, get ready to ride, or be left behind. Yeah, well, we're very excited to hear about all your upcoming projects. So, um, and, and what's going on with Red Coral in particular. So, um, yeah, continue to keep us posted on all that. Where can people go to find out more information and to follow that? Is there any place right now? Um, right now, the, the thing that we have is we've just launched our own podcast. Oh, um, okay. Oh, we got really? competition, right? little, little competition. Really? I'm shocked there, dude. You know? <laughs> The the and, and literally we're doing it to promote our network, our OTT. Yeah. But but the podcast is why should I listen to them? And we want to have artists on because we think that artists are the keeper of culture, that the keeper of society. That when things turn to turn to art, whether it's music, whether it's uh, uh, novels, whether it's poetry, whether it's film, whether it's painting, they always turn to artists for some sort of cathartic relief. And so we will have various artists because artists, in my opinion, always say the unpopular thing. The thing that's thought of the most or heard the most or wants to be championed, but is really unpopular amongst, you know, those those sort of middle of the road. Well, I guess I'll march to this tune because they said I should. Um, so that is uh, under Red Coral. You know, why should I listen to them? It, it'll be on the, the usual cast of characters. And the Red Coral universe, um, we we have our URL. We've we've bought it, we've owned it, but there's there's nothing on it yet. It's still, I've seen mock-ups of what it is. It's very pretty. It's very cool. I like it. Um, and I'm going to come back and beg you guys to to be on your show so I can promote it and have folks watch it. You have an open door. Absolutely, you are, you, you are welcome. welcome back. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Coolio, coolio. coolio. So, so thanks so much for your time tonight. It's been great talking. Guys, to you. you guys are great. I can't wait till I'm down in Atlanta and we can go eat some uh, eat some grub together and tell tall oh, tales. Dude, it'd be an adventure. There you go. There All you right. go. All right. <laughs> Mr. Faber, Mr. Borden, thank you kindly. And thank you, sir. All righty, guys. Take it easy. Let's take a quick break and we will be back in a moment and we're talking all about science. Science! <laughs> Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It's finally spring, it's finally March, and there's some new movies for us to get hyped about. Of course, this coming weekend, we're going to have the Disney animated movie Raya and the Last Dragon, and then the sci-fi post-apocalyptic thriller Chaos Walking. Looking forward to those. And then later on this month, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. We'll be curious to see how that goes. And then 
what feels like the first big blockbuster we've got in a while, which is Godzilla vs. Kong coming out at the end of March. I will be completely honest, I don't need much to be satisfied by Godzilla vs. Kong. If there's some really fantastic monster fight action scenes, I'm going to be as happy as like a little kid opening up some holiday gifts. Like, I've just been really missing blockbusters, particularly because of the pandemic. We didn't really get the summer blockbuster season, and this feels like a wonderfully big, bombastic summer movie, and I'm so excited to see it. I feel like with some of these Monsterverse movies, some of the problem in the past is that they maybe try a little too hard to give it more of a human interest story. And then what people kind of want to see, like, we just want to see the big monsters fight. Like, if you don't really have a great in-depth story with your human characters, don't try to force that. Like they said in the original Godzilla movie, let them fight. That's what we really want to see. So I'm super excited about that. And I also, something I really appreciate is that studios making an effort to release things both in physical theater locations and on streaming services. I want to see movie theaters survive the economic hardships of the pandemic. And as people are getting able to be vaccinated, it's a little more safer to go out. I'm glad that they have that option in the theaters, but there are also some people who are not ready to dive fully back in yet. And it's good that they can see that via streaming. So people have choices, what they can do safely and what they're comfortable with. We can all have this great, big, fun, geeky conversation. That's it for the Box Office Buzz this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the Earth Station One podcast website. Howdy! Listen up. I am talking. Now, the question of the hour is, who's got a Doctor Who podcast? Answer, we do. Next question, who's listening to it? Answer, you are. If you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship and you've got any plans to listen to a Doctor Who podcast, just remember who's standing in your way. And then, do the smart thing. Listen to Earth Station Who right here on the ESO Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now we want to thank our fine sponsor, Inked Marketing. And Inked is, of course, the proud sponsor of the NSC Roadshow. Check it out. We've got all kinds of really cool people on the road this March, and they have a lot of great Kickstarters going on. One of them we're going to talk about tonight is the Journey of the Shadows, Darkness Falls. Live on March 1st, 2021, on Kickstarter comes The Journey of the Shadows, Darkness Falls, is a crime sci-fi anime novel that continues the saga of Commander Tsunami, a humanoid anomaly and the leader of the supernatural Sansa warriors, as he seeks to stop an ancient evil. Humanity is about to be collateral damage, and the clock is ticking. Grab your copy of this fine novel at inked.pub slash darknessfalls. And now it's time for the main topic. Are you ready for a little bit of science? Science! 
That's right, Mikey. We got some great folks here tonight to talk a little bit of the world of science. And sadly enough, Dr. Scott isn't with us, but we have some pretty amazing he's doing replacements. Something sciencey, right? Of course. I, yeah. I think he's with uh, Dr. Uh, Henson Honeydew and Beaker. <laughs> and so I think, you know, they're right now trying to blow up Muppet Lab. So we'll you know have to what? Say- Whatever goes on in Dr. Geek's lab, you know some weird stuff's going to come out of there. So, um, But that's where he is right now. So we've got some great people to join us uh, to talk all about science. You know, look, we're, we're only a couple months in to 2021, and we've already got some really exciting stuff happening to talk about. So without further ado, uh, we've got our good friend Mark Holmes back with us. Welcome back to the station, sir. He blinded me with science. Absolutely, absolutely. And we also have with us Chip Johnson. Chip, welcome to the station. Thanks for having me Uh, on. Absolutely. For those people who may not be familiar with you and what you do, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. High school teacher, and I am a major science enthusiast, to paraphrase a line from Big Hero 6. (laughs) that's awesome awesome uh we also have with us nisha mulchen nisa welcome to the station well thank you for having me today i'm super excited to be here for science yes and we're excited to have you as well you've got a lot of letters uh, behind your name so tell us a little about yourself as well um so hey guys thank you so much for having me today i really appreciate it um mike knows i'm a huge science nerd that's my hashtag science nerd is me I am actually um, a nurse practitioner, um, family practice, neuro, neuropsychiatry, and mental wellness. And uh, we are, I work currently in primary care and in mental wellness full-time. And then I'm also the CEO of Diversely Geek and the Diversely Me Foundation. We are a mental wellness and positivity nonprofit organization based in fandom and geekdom. So um, of which Mike knows I'm doing research, which was uh, published last year in the National Institute of Health that talks about the positive messages of fandom. So that's me. <laughs> I, and that's a lot. That's impressive. And we are, we, like yeah. I said, we are honored to have you with us. Um, like I said, a lot to talk about. Um, I think we're going to, you know, open with the headline, which is Mars. Um, I think it was last year. There were at least uh, three major mm-hmm. uh, missions launched towards the Red Planet, um, one by uh, ourselves, of course, at NASA, one by China, and one by um, the, um, uh, I think it was the uh, UAE. United. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Um, and uh, they've all kind of arrived at their destination like this month. So um, uh, now two of them are just... Um, in satellite, I think China's is is China supposed to land at all? Yeah. Okay. So, um, oh yeah, that's right. But they're not going to try theirs until May, I think, later. Um, and then the other one um, is just a satellite, right? Getting weather information, I think, is what I read. I, you guys can correct me because you know I, I know a little bit, but it's dangerous. Um, He's reading it off the screen. Please correct the guy. You know. <laughs> um but uh of course you know the nasa uh one was the was the big deal was a big deal last week um chip what uh what did you follow that at all uh a little bit i wasn't able to do as much i'm unfortunately not doing anything with astro this year so i'm not able to throw it to the kids but 
Oh, as part of the as part of the yeah, kids, but right? I did as part of the class. I or? did watch the I did listen to the audio clip from Mars, which is interesting if you sit through it. It's just the two wind gusts, and then I think it was somebody was talking about the. I was laughing mostly about the code that they hid in the space in the uh, parachute when it was landing, which was just the ultimate. I thought it was just a perfect uh, chef's kiss of nerd moment. I, you know what? I, I must say, tell us about that because I don't really know what happened. There. Let me look it up so I can make sure I'm saying the correct thing here. <laughs> so, um, but I did get a chance to to not watch it live. Every time it seems like I went to the channel, I was just watching a bunch of people kind of explain what was yeah. going on or what was going to go happen. So I didn't really get a chance to see. It was only later that I saw the. The actual landing and and all of that later. Are you talking so, about but perseverance? It is pretty exciting stuff. Okay, I was like, yes, perseverance. That's I think correct. you're talking about that. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's the most recent one to be landed. Yes. It landed in, I think it was just a short time ago. Um, that about a week and yeah, a half, right? About a week yeah. and a half ago. It was actually around my birthday time. Yeah, it, yep. it was amazing been, to watch. They just been a long line of. Uh, Successful NASA landings on Mars. No, it was was just amazing to see. It was awesome. Well, don't say that because as they like to say, there's like seven minutes where anything can go wrong when they're coming in. Yeah, it's really complicated. You think it would might be easy just to kind of like you know gravity would take over and it just lands, but no, it's so many. It's so difficult. Well, they have no idea of the wind shear, the velocity. All we can do is predict based on. Um, they send really teeny little probes. And so my, so this is another part of my, my, my nerd because my, 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 my niece is a geologist and she studied, um, um, a lot that has to do with, uh, the moon. And so she teaches me all these things. So, um, so they, they send teeny, teeny little probes in to be able to gauge what the wind, wind shares are and our wind shares and theirs are, of course not the same and it's based on all kinds of all levels of velocity that you have oh it's like so amazing and even with that kind of um that science behind the amount of equipment they send in ahead of a a landing um to be able to predict almost to the second one it's going to be it can shift that quickly and so they can still get it wrong and they they can't land which has happened with perseverance because they i believe they couldn't do uh, landings <laughs> prior. I think they've been trying. So, mm-hmm. oh right, mm-hmm. until now, right? Until last or a week ago or so. Seems yeah, interesting. I did find the code. It's if you look at the. It's they had a they had a dare, but if you look at the image of the parachute when it lands, it's some uh-huh. code worked into how the colors are arranged, and it translates to dare mighty things. And I forget oh, what that's wow. from, but that's a quote from. And now it's going to, you know, I added my head three seconds ago, but it's one of those <laughs> you asked. It's like, but I just was like, okay, you know, there's a certain level of nerd in NASA when they're like, we're going to slip a code into the parachute on the Mars rover. It's pretty awesome that they did that. And it's, it was just amazing to watch and seeing the emotion when it landed and the cheers in at the ground control, it was just, I was almost breaking into tears and it was just like, Oh, that's so awesome. You know? And, but it was, it was just, 
it's there's so much they're going to be learning from this and once they you know now that they have all the this this thing has like almost 27 different cameras on it and it is just amazing and that doesn't you know include what they're going to be doing with the helicopter uh the helicopter is like there's two things that i think is cool about the i mean there's a lot of things that are cool about the perseverance but two things in particular one is that you know they've got this drone helicopter thing that's gonna that's gonna give us aerial shots and other shots that we've never experienced before but also the fact that its main objective is to search for signs of life which i think is just kind of cool um like i mean i think I think we're, we're we're really doubling down on the fact that at that's one point more. Mars mm-hmm. had life, right? I mean, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for an ancient alien race because everything points to their 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 external that biosphere, their stratosphere, and I believe they have like different more way more layers than we we do. All looks like there's microorganisms in a biome that says that there was probably some kind of life there. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, because where they landed is a dried up lake and it's even a delta, you know, where the the rivers flowed into the lake. And it it's a, almost abundant that if there was water on there, there has to be some kind of microbial, you know, remnants of some kind of if there was life. And it's it's pretty awesome. You have to really hand it to those NASA engineers for thinking outside of the box on how to land these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, 99.9% of us would think you just put a big rocket on the bottom and you land it with a rocket. But no, no, they don't think that way. I don't think you could, they could do it, though, right? Because if they yeah, had they landed could. it that way, the risk was pretty great that they would damage something. <laughs> and it also and- contaminates the landing area. Exactly. And that's what they're worried about is, you know, stopping, you know, microbes from Earth you know, when they, you know, coming with it and everything, it's just, you know, and that's going to also be eventually when humanity gets there, you know, how are we going to expose Mars to our, you know, microbes and everything? It's just amazing to think about. And, you know, or as we like to, some people like to say right now, we have one planet on you know in our solar system that is all full of humans and you know, full of life and now we have a second planet now that's full of robots yeah. uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> we think yeah certainly getting to mars is a lot more trickier than it was like in uh what john carter all he did is sleep in a cave and he woke <laughs> up on mars is that right he was very hard that's right that's right it's gonna take a little bit longer than that well it should be interesting to see I mean, we've already got some uh, panoramic views, some really nice shots, and some sound from Mars already. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to follow that. And then, of course, yeah, I don't know how much they're willing to share, but um, yeah, China's supposed to have their lander and rover uh, land at some point in the uh, uh, sometime in the spring. But uh, it looks like they're being a little bit secretive as to exactly when that's going to happen. China but there's a lot of there's so many factors for not sharing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But who knows, in the new modern China, maybe they're a little more open, but (laughs) who knows that that China had a manned space program? You know, they do, but they don't talk about it. Well, it's going to be very interesting because, you know, there's so much going on, you know, with 
you know, with Mars. And this is just the beginning, folks. Within the next five years, you're going to be so seeing so much happening with Mars that, you know, you're going to be seeing for the first time samples of Martian soil coming back to Earth, which is going to be amazing because that's part of the mission that they have now. Um, they're leaving sample. They're they're bagging up mm-hmm. and putting into cylinders uh, samples for a future mission that's going to come. Basically, pick it up and then fly it back to Earth, and it's now, the, it's just going to be amazing to the see. The geek in me says, "Isn't that contaminating Earth with Martian, maybe Martian <laughs> bacteria?" Well, technically, yeah, they've totally said a that. Good idea. Well, technically, they've said that there is Martian soil already on Earth from asteroids and meteors that, you know, have hit, you know, the Earth and up in Antarctica and stuff yeah. like that. We tend to we tend to cook those pretty well before well, they hit us. So exactly. I was just thinking, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's traveled a long way <laughs> and the original uh, design of Mars yeah. would have been altered. But. I see what you're saying. So, you know, if they're if they're putting a sample of some kind that's a safe sample on the soil itself, over time, it's going to have some type of mutative um, properties because it's picking up the, hopefully, you know, whatever Mars is depositing. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, Doctor Who fans know that really well, you know. <laughs> if, don't drink the water, whatever it's you bad do. bad that that's what we're looking for. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Damn. What could go? What could go wrong? You like that mm. list alphabetically? Uh, or yeah. Mars. <laughs> yeah, just to follow up, I because I just was looking at this as well, just to clarify that the uh, the first actually robotic probe to arrive this year at Mars was from the UAE, and uh, uh, it's a probe called Hope. And all it's doing, it, I mean, it's doing a lot, but it's uh, it's studying the the atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, understanding the weather dynamics. So it's not actually, I don't think it's going to land or do anything else like that. So, um, but still pretty cool. I mean, I mean, yeah, they all had to launch last year because they had that little window. Six months. Um, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The fact that we just That's got fast. there that fast, like we, it, yeah. Remember when Oppie went fast. out? Really fast. Remember how long it took for Oppie to get there? Opportunity? Jeez. It's oh, yeah. Crazy. It, it is amazing. And you did hear also that um, President Biden has continued a operation that was first started under the Trump administration for the goal to get man back on the moon by 2024. And that's still our goal. That's pretty lofty for three years. Well, yeah. I, I just looked it up and uh, the Orion spacecraft is on track to work. They have the boosters also. They just never put the two together yet. This technology is all old now because it was being developed before the Obama administration and unfortunately, they they chose to cut NASA's budget during the Obama administration. So all that stuff got shoved aside. So now that they've greenlit it again, they can just pick up where they left off. So a lot of that work's been done already. But that's just, and it's amazing, you know, we're going to, within a relatively short time, we're going to have people on the moon again. And... You know, things they're already proposing within the next 10 years now for the moon, it's just amazing. We're going to actually see 
fingers crossed, hopefully a manned moon base within the next 15 years. They're also thinking very... of a manned space station around the moon, which I think yeah, is that, that would awesome. be definitely my preference, mm. just because it's less you're less likely to run into headaches that way. <laughs> well, exactly, and also protect them from asteroids and radiation, and you know I, other items okay, too. Now here's the here's the thing: my heart wants manned exploration of space, but my head says everything can be done with robots, and you don't. You don't need to chunk a 150-pound person with hundreds of pounds of supplies to get the same job done. Yeah, but some of that is just visual. It's you know, it's not as romantic to have the rover. I mean, the rover That's landing true. is nice. Like I said, but my, it heart, doesn't... my heart is with the Captain Kirk going out <laughs> into space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my head, my head really says robots I... can do the job. Yeah, as, as cool as the probe landings are, there's you know it's it's not exactly the thrill of you know Neil Armstrong hitting you know touching the moon, right? Exactly, the 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 look of seeing you know it's exciting to see the rovers and such on another planet, but how exciting even more so is to see an astronaut on Mars or to see an astronaut on the moon again or on an asteroid or even further out on Europa or something. It's just going to be, yeah, the first steps are going to be robots. That's just, it's just a fact. It's more cost effective and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a lot easier to see, you know, it's, but it's going to be interesting when we get to the point where humanity, it's going to be more economical for humans to be out there because there's so much that, you know, we haven't taken advantage of, you know, economically and such that you're going to be able to find out on in the, basically in the asteroid belt, you know, for mining or, you know, and that's going to be saving the earth supposedly, you know, for minerals and stuff like that. And you're also going to be able to see, you know, people exploring, you know, cause they, you know, they're talking about, you know, for longer place, you know, rides out to further out past Mars you know, suspended animation and such, they've, they're still working on that. You know, it's not going to be, it's not, is it going to be like in 2001 where they just had everyone sleeping on the, the ride out to Jupiter or, you know, what's it's cause you know, people are going to be going space crazy and cause there's not going to be really artificial, the size of the ship for artificial gravity or something like that. It's just going to be, it's going to be amazing to see. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, within what four or five years, we're going to have shuttles going back and oh, forth yeah. from either yeah. Elon Musk or or Richard Branson or Branson, you know, one of the two whoever can get there together. Oh, <laughs> if you want to talk about Elon Musk, well, let's get into SpaceX, dude. That's where it's at right now. That's what the statement is. Oh, it, it is. You know, everything he's doing with the Starship right now, all the testing of rockets and. You know, it's it is so amazing to watch him shoot up the Starship engines right now, and you know, bringing you know, hoping he's going to be able to land one because I think with what nine, I think they just overshot it just slightly. They a little overcompensated, and the ship crashed well, when it you, landed. You notice they already had nine's replacement sitting in the background. Uh huh. Ten's already out yeah, on the ready, ready to go. To go. He, the man is not. He doesn't wait. Well. No, 
He'd, it was it was beautiful to see the two of them it, next to each other. It is a real other. world aspect that I mean, there's that's something science science fiction's been predicting for what thirty years that space travel was eventually going to get privatized. I mean, they had speaking of two thousand one, they had what the Pan Am shuttle. I mean, so we you know that's, yeah exactly, Mister Hayward, the Pan Am shuttle's ready for you. Of course, there's going to be restrictions, governmental. That's what it is. Science there there'll always be a NASA or an organization involved in you know, um, some level of authority, but when you have something privatized, you you know, there's an ingrown understanding, there's policies, etc. So both of these organizations have the ability to create that on their own and allow themselves to be policed in a sense at a, at a larger, at a global level, and also have the common sense to involve a global um, scientific community to also be on board you know what I'm saying? So, so we're we're getting a compilation and a, a huge, um, a good, a great bandwidth of scientists from across the globe whose know-how is getting included. And you know, because you know, the team for SpaceX is hugely go, has a lot of global perspective to it. So, I think that that was a very wise move. I'm okay with privatizing. I I'm like, if the time ever comes where I can get on a commercial flight into space, I would be a I I do it. <laughs> we're getting so close it's amazing to me how close we're getting and i think actually i think aesthetically i i think i dig the virgin galactic ships better um they do have a spaceship that they are debuting it's supposed to roll out march 30th so um at the end of the month we should see their second spaceship design and uh the like the previews that they've been giving uh, of it i mean it looks it looks it does look visually pretty cool but, you know, I mean, they have yet to, I think on the first one, they're still waiting to, like, test that one. I think they were supposed to test it last month, but the weather conditions weren't allowing it or something. So mm-hmm. it, It's amazing. The sizes of these ships, too, are mm. just huge. We haven't seen, you know, Starship with its, you know, cabin on top of it. And they said it when it's fully stacked up, it's going to be taller than the Statue of Liberty. It's just, it's just amazing. And there's going to be like, they, they've showed the different models that they are, they're planning on. There's the deep, you know, the deep space one. There's the low orbit one. There's, you know, and it's even the cargo ones. It's just, it's just amazing how they're planning for this stuff. It's just, it's like, wow. It's mind blowing to see this stuff. Have you ever seen a series on Netflix called Mars? Yeah. Has anyone had a chance? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's to some extent it's backed by Elon Musk because he used they use his own his footage the SpaceX I know. footage all the way through it so it was wonderful because even though I know they didn't renew it I loved it um, <laughs> I think he gave us a beautiful window into the think tank that went into this thing it was it it's an amazing series because it's all oh, based it on factual science which yep. is great you know not like science fiction or science fantasy this was actual true science and this is what they're hoping and was we're predicting to be able to put into actuality so what you're seeing and all the problems they're facing in this series were things that they're fleshing out right now in the think tank so which i thought was pretty fantastic so it's not it's sci-fi but at the same time there's some reality to it Mm -hmm. and and it offers a lot of hope um the timeline on that uh, I don't know, but <laughs> in my lifetime, 
Look, as, even as a as a writer, I know if you don't have a deadline, then people just don't do anything. So you at least have to. You may not meet the deadline, but you have to at least have it there as a tentpole. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Yeah. It's true. All right. So that's some space talk. We got a little uh, I, more space talk, if you don't mind. Um, real quick. Okay. Real, real, yeah, sure. real, real, real quick. You've heard about this. Um, the. Vo- uh, basically, the Voyager space station. I don't know if anyone's heard of this. That um, is that the hotel. It is the space hotel. Yeah. Uh, I saw a whole I saw a whole video on it where they wanted me to invest a lot of money into. Oh, it. Of course, <laughs> they want everybody to invest a lot of money into it. But I get those emails too. No, just kidding. But <laughs> they it's it's uh, going to be starting construction in 2025, and it it's going to look very similar to the space station in 2001. It's mm-hmm. going to be the wheel, basically, right. in space. And it's it's going to be awesome. The only other bad thing of when I started seeing the, the designs of it, it's like I started thinking about the movie Elysium a little bit. <laughs> and it's like, ooh, all the rich people moving up, out, up there and leaving us schmucks here on Earth behind you know it's just like oh, okay but yeah snow piercer in space right yeah yeah pretty much it is. oh but all this all the rich people who were in those particular areas couldn't fix anything so when the time when there was a big old catastrophe they had nowhere saving themselves just saying that's what happened in the moment so they- <laughs> there you go but yeah but it's it's just amazing to see the drawings of it and and this is just and this is the first one that they're planning. They're planning on even you know a, almost like a space city, in a a double wheel, um, within the next ten years after that. And so it, exactly, and it's going to be spinning, and it's the spinning for the mm-hmm. artificial gravity. And they said pretty much with the spinning, it's not going to be Earth's gravity, but it's going to be more like mm-hmm. gravity on the moon. And it's like one sixteenth, right. I think, or something like that. If I remember the research from one six on yeah, so it's pretty amazing to you know see. But this is all coming, folks. This is just awesome. It's real. It's about twenty years late than what they all predicted back when I was a boy. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) There was a break in there somehow. Well, that's called Challenger. When it blew up, it put a lot on hold, and so because yeah, well, it was a. Yeah, it was multiple space shuttles yeah. that were blowing up. There's a lot of things going on at a, a, a global level that mm-hmm. exactly affected the willingness and the commitment to space it's also the end of the Cold War. So. Yeah. you got to remember, people were bored with the moon yeah. the end, in 1972. It was the end of the Cold we War. We didn't have the, the entire moon, I mean, heck, the entire lunar calendar, basically, or the entire lunar op is is basically the U.S. trying to beat out the USSR. As soon as that competition was mm-hmm. gone, like I guarantee, if you look at a graph, you can probably watch. It. As soon as the USR starts being a threat, NASA's budget goes. like, "Yeah, we did it." Yeah. Well, exactly. But now that China's becoming a threat with it, you know, budgets. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So that's that's cool. Like that's really, really cool. Thanks for mentioning that. All right, but I really want to talk to. Nisha, you mentioned something right before we started recording that you're really excited about that hit today. So I'm really curious about what uh, what news you have there. We're going in a different direction, my dears, <laughs> but actually not a different direction because it's some um, it's a uh, it's literally something that's relative to what we're dealing with every day right now. 
Um, so today, um, have any of you heard about the COVAX COVID-19 Vaccine Global Access Initiative? Is that the one that got sold to, uh, that was supposed to be a, a free publish, and then it got sold to, oh, I forget who. Is that, or am I thinking of the wrong one? No, so you partly right, partly incorrect. So what happened is right now, you know, we're living in a country where, and there's quite a few countries, the, you know, um, the United um, you know, Kingdom or Canada or here or China who may have the wherewithal and the funds to be able to support at a government level uh, the, cre- the, the um, development of vaccines and then to also get fund that, those vaccines to get to their citizens. So we're doing that, right? We have Pfizer. We have, um, you know, we have Moderna, which I got. We have Johnson & Johnson just coming out. Yay, finally. Jeez yeah. Louise. Just so you know, because I know Mike asked me about that, they've only gotten through the first phase. Now, the next step phase is going through the, um, um, there's a, a committee uh, in, um, of professionals at a, who from infection control backgrounds and from um, OSHA backgrounds, et cetera, who then have to approve how a new vaccine gets used, just so the whole world knows kind of how that works. So much as we want to have it out there and running tomorrow, we have to still get through this final phase. So once they say it's okay, then we can do the final planning. But what happened is, is across the globe, we have so many third world (laughs) um, countries. And I say that quote unquote, guys, but countries who just don't have the funding at um, at a governmental level to be able to support the development of their own vaccines per se. So what happens is, is the World Health Organization created um, as in, as a whole, of which the United States was not part of, which, eh, you know, for what reasons, um, they created what's called COVAX, and um, which is, I said, the COVID-19 Vaccine Global Access Initiative launched by the WHO to ensure vaccine access to the world's most vulnerable populations. And it's, um, I'm reading to you directly from World Health Organization because it's a mouthful, guys. Mm-hmm. So um, COVAX is part of the Access to COVID-19 Tools, the ACT Act that was created last year, um, which literally guides how, how um, countries and at-risk populations get access to the vaccine and to treatment, right? So um, it was a framework for global collaboration that was set up in response to the call. Um, you remember last year, the G20? summit in March of 2020 when they were like, we're calling this a pandemic. We're, we're done now. They're like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then um, under with the European Com- Commission with France, et cetera, mm-hmm. and with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation of April 2020, they began the work to create this framework. And today, my dear friends, just to let you know, around the world, the first doses of the COVAX vaccine were administered in India, Africa, Ivory Coast, Colombia and first Colombia being the first in the um, Americas, not the not the United States, and Brazil will be getting 9.1 million doses very soon. Wow, that is that good is news. awesome. That is really awesome. So this is huge business, guys, because for us as a country, especially I'm in Florida, um, you know, all the tourism throughout the entire world. This is what's kept us back. We haven't had a globalization. Um, of the, the accessibility to the vaccine. And by us having this now and this program and funding that has been set aside from it, that's gonna just 
change the uh, the playing field, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That was, that is good news. Really good news. Really, really good news. Uh, <laughs> so, Chip, was there something that you wanted to bring up to our science uh, discussion? The, tonight? Thing I, the thing I kind of wanted to bring up is something I think is interesting. It ties back into COVID, but it is just sort of a weird, one of those, you know, I always try to explain to the kids is that sometimes things that don't seem like A should affect B end up doing so. And it was, it's also something I try to explain to the kids. We always do a unit on air and we talk about smog and we talk about air pollution and we look at how changing air pollution affects things. And this year we're, I was able to say we have a real world comparison to one of those labs. And that is the fact that um, if you look at it, I think the daily global CO2 emissions this year due to COVID due to everybody staying home and being in lockdown fell by, uh, huh? Yeah. 17%. And so you, yeah, so you can literally track Woo. like the drop in cars and cars on there. And I just thought that was like one of the most, cause I literally do a lab simulation where we have the kids yeah. like take the cars out and now how does that change it? And it's a model. And I was able to kind of go, we know this works now because we watched it happen. <laughs> we were able to do a real world experiment. 27, 27 percent decrease in um, in South yeah. South California, which is amazing. Exactly, decrease and the fuel emission is uh, reduced, and our outer zone, the ozone layer, the, the, yeah, the first layer. Uh, my God, I'm having a brain infarct. People, help me! <laughs> it um, it's actually thinned out a bit. So not in a bad way, positive way. Just to let you know, mm-hmm. it's being uh, replenished, and basically mm-hmm. because you know we're using less carbon and it's just been amazing. I have friends of mine who live in Southern California and they said they were actually able to see the mountains more this winter than they have in years. I was going to say, are you meaning that, uh, does that mean to say that the Californians are closer to like actually seeing each other now? Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> they actually do see the blue skies. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, like, was it the dolphins that were flying, that were uh, uh, swimming back into the canals in Vienna for a while or in Venice? Yeah, that too. Oh, it's yeah. just it's sort of the ecological oh, yeah. impact that you don't think about, but it's sort of the humans go away and yeah, things come back. It's it's amazing. Uh, whales in New York Harbor. You know, when was the last time that happened? Or you had <laughs> you know you have like in my area, it's very wooded. We have tons of more deer because they're not getting hit by cars. It's you know it's it's just amazing, and like I swear I think we have more squirrels than ever because you know people are you know not hitting them with the cars or something but it's just it's crazy and i know it's horrible to to put it that way but it's just but it's it's the nature and it's just it's you're seeing nature come back to play for reasons because humanity is staying put and you know we're not on the roads and stuff. And it's just amazing too, because this is science based and you know, what's going to happen now to all these office buildings in these huge cities. Now that a lot of people and companies are seeing, Hey, our company can survive without having an office. We can have people working from home more. And, you know, it's just amazing to see my company itself that I work for during the day is going to be cutting our office space in half because they're going to have everyone work a hundred percent remote and use just the office for a meeting space mm-hmm. and everything. So it's just, it's just interesting to see. 
That is cool. Especially since, yeah, I mean, unfortunately it came down to this um, and hopefully we'll look at this and not like screw it up in the next two years once things get back to quote unquote normal. Right. Um, but it's, it, it's nice for the planet to at least have a little breather, <laughs> a little 15 minute break. Like, Oh man, thank you. All right. Now we can get back to it. Um, Mike, I know you have a list and I know we have a short time. Uh, is there anything else that, uh, you wanted to hit on real quick before? Yeah, I do have one pretty amazing one. The announcement, um, that came out two weeks ago that GM announced that all their cars for starting in 2035, they're going away with the combustible gas engine. They are going to, it's going to be all electric and no hybrids, no carbon, fuel or no hydrogen fuel it is all going to be electric they are setting the the pace this is some of the best news you can think of for so many reasons gas engines are what 150 year old technology that really hasn't changed it's been tweaked and such but it's still the same principles and everything and you know they're going to be, you know, people complain about the electric engines right now. Oh, you only get 300 miles per battery and you have to, you know, you have to wait, you know, hours for it to recharge and everything. They are coming out with new batteries that that are smaller, faster to recharge and more powerful than you could ever believe that you're going to be able to get thousands of miles on one charge. They're saying something like 6,000 miles for, between charges. And it's just amazing. And it has a life. They're saying this battery has a lifespan of over a hundred years. So, you mm. know, it's, it's going to revolutionize. Yeah. I, I would take a huge grain of salt with, with everything you just said there. Why? Mike. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give you a little real world. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. A few years ago, they started uh, replacing incandescent light bulbs with compact fluorescent light bulbs. And they promised you the world that that was going to change everything. Every compact fluorescent light bulb has toxic gas in it and deadly heavy metals. And they have to be manufactured a certain way, which is not great for the environment and they have to be disposed of a certain way which is not great for the agreed. environment agreed with them and they were they promised you five years life expectancy and i'm in the business and i don't think i've ever seen a compact fluorescent bulb last five years now the incandescent bulb industry is well, yeah. gone the compact hang on a second the compact fluorescent light bulb industry is going away because it's been replaced by the better, more fuel efficient, more energy efficient LED bulb. Now, what I'm saying is we didn't need the compact fluorescent light bulb. We could have waited just two more years and got the better technology sooner. Well, actually, LEDs have LEDs have been around for for a uh-huh. long time, though, Mark. And the thing is right. that. It, they just had to wait for the technology to become more available and more affordable but and more well. They got the compact fluorescent bulb and they got many of the Western governments to sign on board with it 
fully knowing that they were going to be manufactured in third world countries mm -hmm. where the regulations aren't as good to protect the workers and the environment. We're building the batteries that we use now are full of lithium, which is a deadly toxin. They're made in third world countries that are not regulated like Western countries are. Nope. So I just want to know what this new magic battery is going to be made of and where that's going to be Actually, manufactured. Here in North Georgia, they have a huge, huge plant that is being built right along I-85 up in Commerce. It's owned by a South Korean uh, conglomerate, and it's supposed to bring over mm -hmm. 2,000 jobs to that area. And it, I know Apple is actually just um, – I think they announced it two weeks ago that they are working with either Hyundai or Kia for their autonomous cars to be built here in Georgia. And and Apple's never released a project, a product that was. Oh, I'm defective. sure there's going to be glitches, but yeah, but you're going to see the self-driving cars. You're going to see, oh, and I'm you're going to see the electric cars and you're going to see, you know, and, they're, you're going to see, you know, you're going to see the combustible engine going away with by 2050. Good. It, it's, it's it is long, long overdue. And, you long know, I mean, there's going to be like, there's, there's always be steps along the way. There's I mean, look at look, just the way we can, you know, the way we consume media in our lifetime has changed like at least five, six times, right? Like, you know, you, you bought vinyl and then you got like cassettes and then you got eight tracks and then you got you know uh cds and then it's like it's like yeah, it's like anything else and i don't I am, know i still i, but still I am holding my Gordon, i am holding on to my beta max collection i was gonna say i still i just said that i said that beta is still better than vhs buddy <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that mark i knew you were gonna say it. but yeah it's and it's just amazing what but it is exciting that we're going in that direction it is well and if you think about it how much technology has evolved over the last 50 years and it's getting faster and faster this is a wonderful time. It's, to it's just amazing. It's absolutely wonderful but then, you know, you hear all the conspiracy theorists, you know, saying, you know, how they have the microbes in the, in the virus, in the, you know, all the shots and everything that they're the only reason they're giving the shots is because they have little, you know, you know, bio chips, you know, it's chips in there. And it's <laughs> like, it's, chips exactly. No, it's not like we all don't carry, you know, all small if, devices. If the government wants to find me, <laughs> they GPS. know how to okay, find me. They know, they know exactly where we are. We made, it, we made it very easy. For... Yeah, my number one soapbox is the fact that you've handed us accessibility with this little thing. Yeah. And there is no conspiracy theory. Uh, who's watching us? Everybody's watching us. <laughs> they know everything there is to know about us. Science, listen, the level of digitalization that exists at this time, we don't even have an iota of understanding. And the level of storage they have in, with the amount of data they have, forget it. I just have accepted the fact that they know everything, whoever they are knows everything about me, and fine, let it well, be. Yeah. It's what it is. If they, know, if they know where those pictures are found, they can find it. It's okay. I know. You know? You got the hug. Well, you know, it's always nice to know that somebody's listening to this podcast, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I love it. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, the running joke always was that, you know, back in the 1950s, we always thought the government was listening to us on the phone. But now we ask the we ask the phone for recipes from, you know, for pancakes and stuff. And, you know, the government, everyone's listening. Come on, folks. You asked the phone for your bank account. That makes me think they were talking about, I saw a picture and it was, you know, the big thing was 5G. When 5G was, was being rolled out, it was the, the definition of bad timing in terms of scheduling. But um, there was pictures, you know, everyone's like, oh, 5G is this terrible thing. It's going to microwave our brains. And somebody immediately was like posting pictures of like, this is art of uh, what people thought was going to happen when you turned on electric circuits or you connected the main electric lines in the early 1900s. And it's, you know, again, it's, People freaking out. As soon as the lights go on, we're all going to die from exposure and, you know. How the ex-president of the United States saying we would get cancer from windmills. I'm not, that's not. I don't, don't go I don't, there. No, Remember, yeah, yeah. I, I am all right, so. Person, Okay. <laughs> so what, what's in, in, in terms of that conversation, not, not to politicize, but um, it's really worth the watch, the social dilemma on Netflix. So if you ever, if you haven't watched it oh, yet, it's, ama- it's an amazing, we yes. talked about it on the show a couple months oh, ago. Oh my God. That thing is, it actually is very, it's, it's scary, but it's good. To, it's, it's, it's good information to see, I think. Um, and it's always changing. It, everything's changing. And yeah, that's why we keep doing these shows. So, uh, we will have another one coming up in a few months to get an update from, uh, everything science. So thank you guys. Science. For- Yes, thank you guys for thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we're going to be right back uh, to close out the show. Hey, everybody! Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment, and a little bit of news that we missed last week when we were uh, talking about the Hall of Fame uh, happened on February twenty second. Daft Punk released. Uh, eight minutes, an eight-minute video. Uh, it was actually taken from their Electroma film from the mid two thousands, and uh, it implied that the uh, helmeted duo uh, were hanging it up. And they're always a little cryptic, always a little mysterious. So the media reached out to their publicist, who confirmed that uh, Daft Punk is indeed uh, calling an end to their uh, career together after twenty-eight years. And a huge impact on the culture. So I guess now it remains to be seen what what the two guys will be uh, doing in the future, if anything. And on March 27th, at the end of this month, the Tina Turner documentary will premiere on HBO and HBO Max. Um, I saw the trailer. Uh, the trailer does not talk about what you would think it would talk about. It was a childhood memory of Tina's. And um, just that alone... Uh, choked me up so this is going to be a very uh very revealing intimate look really looking forward to that on hbo and if you are a paul mccartney fan or you know a paul mccartney fan start saving your money now because on november 2nd um maka will be releasing a two volume 900 plus page book that uh, is described as as close to an autobiography as he may ever come it's called the lyrics Two volumes, 900 plus pages, self-portrait in 154 songs. Uh, It will take every song he's written or co-written from childhood through the Beatles, through Wings, through the solo albums. um, And they'll talk about the circumstances in which they were written 
the people and the places that inspired them and what McCartney thinks of them now. So an absolute uh, must-have holiday gift for the Beatles fan in your life. Uh, this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. We'll catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the show, Two Sentence Horror Story. I love horror and spooky stuff, so hearing the name of this show called Two Sentence Horror Story while I was scrolling on Netflix, I decided to give it a try. Each episode is 20 minutes long and has an all-enclosed story. There are two seasons of it, and some of the stories are creepier than others. I think one of my favorites was called The Bagman. Each episode starts out with a sentence going across the screen. Then it goes into the episode. At the end of the episode, you see the second sentence for that episode. And they both together sum up what just happened and what you just watched. It's a really neat concept, and the stories remind me a lot of Tales from the Crypt or Are You Afraid of the Dark? The stories focus on teenagers, adults, gig workers, men in business suits. The stories really focus on everyone in any form of lifestyle. So it's interesting to see a show that focuses on so many different types of people. There are also some familiar faces in this show if you watch shows like Letterkenny or others that are filmed in Canada, since that's where this is filmed. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So let's go wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here tonight. Nisha, you were a last minute addition, but thank you so many, much. And you know what? You have all those letters after your name and it, you proved why you have them and everything tonight. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I told you anytime you talk in science, just don't tell me and I'm here. Oh, well, I think we have a new regular for the show for that segment. So it's awesome. So anything you want to shout out about or promote? Uh, myself. Um, so uh, as you know, I'm working on advancing the research we um, that we published last year with the NIH. Um, and we're actually going full scale with our the Diversely Me Foundation, which is um, Really, our focus is on improving mental wellness, but not just that. It's self-awareness and self-value, right? Um, you know how it works, Mike. You know that it's about taking the thing that you love the most and helping that to transform your life and tra transform your self-value. So our mentorship program launches probably in the next month, and we will officially be uh, applying for funding with the NIH. You guys know that's the National Institute of Health. And, um, you know, we're welcoming with open arms, anyone who would like to come on and work with us as a, as a mentor in any of uh, the programs as we move forward. Um, they're small segmented Eventbrite-based programs where you're doing an hour sessions, mentoring people, children from literally from ages um, 14 to 99. It doesn't, <laughs> anyone's a child who needs to 
you know, wants to learn something, who wants to learn more about who they are, who wants to learn more about what you guys are doing and help them to, to guide towards a, a better sense of self and what their journey is in the life. So, you know, I'm putting the call out there if anyone's interested or um, thinks that they want to offer their particular skill with that to us, arts, artists, creators, writers, anyone, just uh, Mike knows how to get me. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll also have a link in your show notes. You'll send that to me. We will do that. Yes. And Chip, thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me. Anything you want to shout out about? Not really. Just <laughs> thanks for having me. Sorry. Right. That's even better. And Mr. Mark Holmes. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me also. Dude, always a pleasure to have you, sir. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, I'm working on two comic book projects right now that I'm not at liberty to discuss, but you can check out, I've been doing a lot of video work since the uh, lockdown, so you can check out that stuff on my YouTube channel, Mark One Ho. Mark, awesome. Number one, Ho. Well, there you go. All right. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. It was trying tonight, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Anything yeah. you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, I do. I have to give props to another ESO uh, network show has reached another milestone. Ethan Laws over at the 42 cast. They have, he's just released uh, episode 100. Uh, so um, I, you know, it, it's really great to see these other shows on our network really, uh, you know, lasting a while, putting in the work and, and really flourishing. So it's always cool to see it when they reach these milestones. That is awesome. It's always great to see when our children grow up. It's, it's a pure joy. <laughs> it really is when the shows go, come to, you know, milestones like that. Look at Kevin and Cornflake. They're just passing episode 450 of the Flopcast. And, you know, we're coming up. We're do almost on 470 is not that far away for us. Yeah. Uh, sorry, 570. You know, Five, I, I'm, seven, I'm yeah. shorting ourselves here. Come on. You know, we've been doing this for way well, too long. The first long. hundred doesn't count. Exactly. But, Actually, um, I don't know if any of them count. They but don't count. Okay. I've listened to my episodes. I do know they don't count, so it's okay. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I really appreciate, you know, everything that's happening with the ESO network and what we have here on Earth Station One. And it's just, it's always great to talk about that kind of stuff. Two shout outs for me real quick. Um, I've been seeing other podcasts again, and I am actually this week sitting in with Sean Vanderloo on the Soul Forge podcast. And I will be talking about some really personal stuff that I went through in my life earlier. And a lot of divorced parents actually go through some of the stuff I went through. And we touch on that quite a bit. It's not for kids' ears either. It's some really bad stuff that's happened. And But Sean and I talked for like 45 minutes and he probably edited, edited it down to 10. So it's okay. So it should be a lot of fun. And check it out, Soul Forge. They'll be out by the time this show goes live. Um, also, I appeared with the folks over at the Dragon Con uh, Sci-Fi Track, um, and we talked all about Superman and Lois and was a ton of fun talking about the first episode. And we did it um, live on YouTube, so you could probably still check it out. And we just had a lot of fun talking about the new show for the CW. And most likely you'll be seeing us here on Earth Station One talking about it. 
So absolutely. Um, we also got to mention uh, you and I both made an appearance with the American classic sci-fi. That's uh, right. On the last week. And that you can watch. Um, it was a battle of Michaels to yes. find out who would be the ultimate Michael. Um, we had a drop of mics uh, reunite once again. And uh, for some wackiness, some trivia, uh, and some, you know, Joe Crow weirdness. Well, it's always uh, so... Joe Crow weirdness, especially <laughs> the, the questions he was asking us. Yeah, I don't well, even know, know. <laughs> know where he came with those. I don't want to know. I, you know, you, with Joe, you don't ask. Um, you never ask. Uh, but it was entertaining as heck, and uh, I definitely re- encourage people to check it out. It was Cal captured on YouTube, so you can check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes to that, too. Most definitely. So just please check it out. Um we're done for the week. This was a lot of fun. It was great talking to everybody about science. Sorry, Dr. Scott, you're not here. I hope you get better soon. And of course, you know, it's always just great to, you know, hang and talk about geeky stuff. Speaking of geeky stuff, Darren is going to be back again next week. And this time he, we are looking at Paris is burning. That's right. We're going to be talking LGBT issues and a lot of fun in this movie. You know, it's going to be an interesting talk. Mary's going to join us and a couple other folks, too. So it should be a lot of fun to do. But until then, you know, of course, please leave feedback, as we always like to say, at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. It's always, you know, nice to know that people are listening. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at www.nsctvlive.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and, you ready for this, Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, we're not too proud to beg on the show. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Chip Johnson, Mark Holmes, and, of course, Nisha Mulchin, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. Hug your loved ones. Stay safe. Get a vaccine if you can, please. And be safe. Peace. And we are done. That's it. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.